A trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome to the show. Let's uh, let's get down to some serious wrong think. And as we get started today, two things I have to take care of. First of all, I want to mention that our show is brought to you in part by Alta Bank. That would be my friend John Staples. And if you go to the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com, you will find a link there at the bottom of the show notes connecting you to my sponsors. You're going to want to talk to John if you live within the state of Utah, if you are trying to either get a new home loan or refinance your home loan. This is the guy you want to talk to. Again, go to thebrianheidshow.com. That's where you'll find the show notes. So I've got some exciting news. And by way of, of setting this up, I, I, I teased this in the other hour of my show, but I, I want to I want to share some really good news with you. And, and to me, this is exceptionally good news in the sense that I look around today and I see a lot of frustrated people. In fact, sometimes I find myself being very frustrated. Case in point, uh, my younger sister called me today and commented, you know, she wasn't feeling well. She hasn't been tested yet, but, uh, you know, it uh, could be it could be the Rona. And so. Uh, we're just having a conversation, and it starts out, as you might expect. I'm just, you know, hey, are you okay? Are you doing all right? And before I know it, I find myself arguing with her. It was me, okay? It was me arguing about uh, whether or not, you know, the numbers about COVID can really be trusted. And she asked me, do you believe that this is a real illness, or is this just a fake? And I'm like, no, I believe it's a real illness, but I don't think that, that we're being played Straight. I think that, that there is fudging of the numbers. I think there is um, twisting of the facts. I guess if I had to put it this way, I don't know who to believe. Because the official sources move the goalposts continually. They flip and flop and they, they take liberties with the facts or report the facts in a shaded sort of way or an incomplete sort of way that seems uh, deliberate. It seems like it's supposed to lead us in a very predictable direction, which is into more and more control by government and less and less personal freedom and and self-determination. And so the good news that I have to share with you today is that yet another platform is available for those of you who are looking for truth and it's not because i have all the truth but i just want you to know there are people out there who who are working you've heard me refer to this in the last few days especially i've really been on a kick about there are people who feel a sense of calling to stand up and speak the truth and it's not that they're all chanting in unison they're not repeating bumper sticker slogans they all have different areas in which they feel they need to say something And I'm seeing this in a lot of different areas, but I want to tell you about an organized effort that finally has come to fruition. Now, my show is carried on a number of amazing platforms. The Loving Liberty Radio Network is is where I got got things started. By the way, that network is absolutely killing it right now. They just soared past a quarter million listens on their podcast side. I don't know how many people are listening to the live stream, but uh, between the Loving Liberty Radio Network... Liberty News, 
radio, talk stream live. I think I'm still on uh, Missouri Liberty Radio. Sam, I haven't heard from you forever, but I love you, and I appreciate you've carried my show in the past. Uh, on 1640 AM, K-Talk in Salt Lake City, on KDXU in St. George, and now the Fed by Ravens Media Network. Just one more platform as this little show continues to, to grow and reach, hopefully, a, a broader audience. Now, here's the good news. You can, you can actually download the app to your smartphone, whether it's on Android or whether it's on Apple. Go to Fed by Ravens in the App Store. That's where you're going to find it. It's free of charge. And I, I don't want you necessarily just to go there because of me and listen to me. Because, like I said, I don't have all the, the facts or all the truth. I simply try to do the best job I can to speak the truth as I understand it. And I want you to know I can say the same for every other host that you will find on that platform. You'll find a lot of uh, different shows you won't find elsewhere. But I promise you that every single person that you will encounter there, whether it's in the live stream or whether it's in the podcast, which are available, can add to your understanding of the world. And they're saying what they say because in their heart... They are trying to portray the truth as best they can. They're not just saying it because, well, you know, CNN paid me a bunch of money to be a shill for this particular point of view. By the way, I'm not suggesting that everybody at CNN is like that, but I think some are, <laughs> as well as other you know, news outlets. I think they're, they're blow-dried spinmeisters. They're very well paid, and they're to keep us on topic, keep us within the approved narrative, within the boundaries of what Tom Woods calls approved opinion. I'm just happy to report that we're seeing a graduation beyond that need to lean on mass media like we once did. And people can discount it if they want. It's fine. If it's not your cup of tea, please go your way. Be at peace. It's, it's fine. Nobody's trying to hold you captive. But if you're looking for reliable sources, if you're looking for people who who I won't say don't bring an agenda, because I think they are trying to bring an agenda to proclaim truth as best they can. But at least they're honest about it and they're not going to try to pretend that, yeah, this is the only way it is. They're simply trying to enlarge your point of view with some understanding of, hey, here's what it looks like from my vantage point. What you do with that information, of course, is up to you. There is no requirement implied or express that by, you know, logging into this app, you now hereby agree to to li- to listen to and to shake your head thoughtfully at everything that we say. So I would urge you check it out. Fed by Ravens, just one more platform, something you can carry with you, something providing around the clock programming that uh, can help provide some context to what's happening, but more importantly, can provide the kind of contacts that comes from a sincere desire to speak truth, not just to generate outrage or to be sensational. All right, let me hop off the soapbox here. That was my good news. Pop a cork if you'd like. So speaking of truth and how do you find yourself, you know, able to discern fact from fiction? I watched, uh, what was it, Star Trek, the motion picture the other day, which, by the way, for being made back in 1979, so 41 years ago, it actually holds up pretty good. The special effects, I mean, the costumes are definitely a lot of polyester there. That was the that's the result of the late 70s. But um, the storyline and the special effects actually held up fairly good. 
I thought it was a, a decent movie. And, and of course, I always watch with great interest because Spock, Mr. Spock is always the, uh, he's the ultimate, you know, logical person on the scene. He always is looking at things from the most logical point of view. And when you hear the term logic, I don't want you to think in terms of, well, I got to be like a pointy-eared Vulcan who's always, you know, devoid of emotion and analyzing things. I'm talking more about how to be an authentically logical person to keep yourself rooted in truth and not get sidetracked by either engaging in or committing verbal trickery. Well, it just so happens there's an excellent article that was published. uh, This was actually published a couple of years ago on uh, the Foundation for Economic Education. Daniel Lattier is the uh, author, and he has 10 Habits of Logical People. Now, I'm not telling you that you're inferior if you're not doing all of these things. I'm just going to suggest these are things that if every one of us were to put them to use, would find ourselves able to think a little more clearly, to discern a little better between fact and fiction. And, and to me, the beauty of logic, having, having studied it somewhat, I'm no, I'm no expert, but the better you are at applying the rules of logic, the less likely you are to be wrong. And that is not the same thing as saying you will always be right. It just means you're going to be wrong less because you won't allow yourself to be led into unsound arguments or make unsound arguments. Daniel Lattier says becoming a logical person isn't just a matter of memorizing and applying formulas or learning the difference between a valid or invalid syllogism. He says it involves cultivating intellectual habits and skills that, though they seem simple and obvious, are only achieved after years of struggle and education. In his book, Being Logical, A Guide to Good Thinking, venerable philosophy professor D.Q. McInerney lays out the following ten habits that people must cultivate if they are to think clearly and effectively. Now, unfortunately, we're coming up on the break here, so I'm going to launch into those ten habits after we return from the break. But I want you to ask yourself... As we get ready to to hear these habits, why would they apply to me? And again, I'm not trying to imply in any sense that you are deficient. I'm just going to state for a fact that uh, it's hard sometimes to tell fact from fiction. It's hard to keep our emotions from overriding our ability to see things that we may not want to see or acknowledge. So we'll do that. And we'll be back just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. Time to talk about the 10 habits of logical people. Not because we're so concerned that we're always going to be right, but... Just because, I don't know, it's it's nice not to be wrong as often. I mean, we've all had to eat our share of mud, right? But, uh, you know, w- when you look at all the, the misinformation, disinformation, and just outright deception that is going on pretty much at any time around us, some of it online, some of it over the airwaves, you know, some of it in print, it just feels good to know that you can sort through fact from fiction. And this is this is the most important part of all. You need to become confident in your ability to be an expert on sorting fact from fiction. 
Truth is not something given to you by an authority figure. And too many people have bought into the idea that it is. So this is what Daniel Latier has to say about uh, the 10 habits that people must cultivate if they're to think clearly and effectively. Number one, they're attentive. Many mistakes in reasoning are explained by the fact that we're not paying sufficient attention to the situation in which we find ourselves. This is according to Professor D.Q. McInerney. He says the logical person has thus trained himself to always pay attention to the details, even in situations that are familiar, lest he make a careless judgment. By the way, I'm I'm hoping that somewhere out there, everybody's kind of getting their Sherlock Holmes hat on and being, I'm going to pay attention. (laughs) It's always the little details. Number two, they get the facts straight. If a given fact is an actually existing thing to which we have access, then the surest way to establish its factualness is to put ourselves in its presence. We then have direct evidence of it. If we cannot establish factualness by direct evidence, we must rigorously test the authenticity and reliability of whatever indirect evidence we appeal to, so that on the basis of that evidence, we can confidently establish the factualness of the thing. By the way, this makes me think of Charlie Reese's advice, which uh, I have taken to heart for many, many years. And that is whenever it comes to, you know, the reason it's important to get your facts straight is to, first of all, recognize much of what we know about people, about events, about issues is often given to us by someone else. And when you ask yourself, what do I really know about this that wasn't given to me by someone else? Most of us have to admit, well, not very much. And that's a good starting place to start building that knowledge and and getting the facts in your presence. Number three, they ensure that their ideas are clear. Our ideas are the means by which our minds understand the objective world. Clear ideas faithfully reflect that world, whereas unclear ideas give us a distorted view of the world. The logical person is constantly testing his ideas to make sure they accurately depict their objects. Number four, they're mindful of the origins of ideas. The logical person knows which of his ideas are based on things that actually exist in the world. He knows, for instance, that his idea of cat corresponds to things in the objective world known as cats. As a counterexample, there are a lot of people who have an idea that there existed a female pope named Joan in the ninth century. But if they spent some time looking into the source of that idea, they would find that it's widely regarded by respectable historians to have originated in legend. Number five, they match ideas to facts. Now, McInerney writes, to prevent my idea from being a product of pure subjectivism, in which case it could not be communicated to others, I must continually touch base with those many facts in the objective world from which the idea was born. This is easy to do with ideas that have a simple correspondence to things in the world outside our minds. So my idea of cat refers to an actual cat. Now, what's much harder to do, as we've all experienced with more complex ideas like capitalism, socialism, conservatism, liberalism, for these ideas to remain sound, they must be constantly linked to and supported by facts that are accessible to all. Number six, they match words to ideas. We can only communicate our ideas to others if we use words that accurately convey those ideas. But finding the right words can be difficult. And when difficulty arises, we should go back to the sources. How do we ensure that our words are adequate to the ideas they seek to convey? Well, the process is essentially the same as the one we follow when confirming the clarity and soundness of our ideas. We must go back to the sources of the ideas. 
Often we cannot come up with the right word for an idea because we don't have a firm grasp on the idea itself. Usually when we clarify the idea by checking it against its source in the objective world, the right word will come to us. Number seven, they communicate effectively. Logic is ultimately about determining whether statements are true or false. If others are to accurately determine a statement's truth, it needs to be communicated to them in a clear manner. These are some of the guidelines McInerney ad offers rather for clear communication. Don't, don't assume your audience understands your meaning if you don't make it explicit. Speak in complete sentences. Yo, sorry, just had to throw that in there. Don't treat evaluative statements like that work of art is ugly as if they were statements of objective fact. Avoid double negatives. Gear your language to your audience. Number eight, they avoid vague and ambiguous language. Vague and ambiguous both come from Latin words that mean wandering. So vague, ambiguous language tends to wander around the ideas rather than having a fixed, definite meaning. A logical person uses precise language so that his listener knows exactly what he's talking about, and he can adequately evaluate the truth of his claims. If he refers to more complex terms such as freedom or equality, he makes sure to establish his particular understanding of those terms. Number nine, they avoid evasive language. The problem with evasive language, language that does not state directly what a speaker or writer has in mind, is twofold. First, and obviously, it can deceive an audience. Second, and more subtly, it can have a deleterious effect on the people who use it, distorting their sense of reality. See, the user shapes language, but language shapes the user as well. And if we consistently use language that serves to distort reality, we eventually come to believe our own twisted rhetoric. And number 10, they seek to arrive at the truth of things. The purpose of logic, according to McInerney, is to arrive at the truth of things. And he explains there are two basic forms of truth. There's ontological truth, what actually exists and has real being, and logical truth, the truth of statements. Ultimately, he reminds us what determines the truth or falsity of a statement is what actually exists in the real world. Logical truth, in other words, is founded on ontological truth. So the authentically logical person, therefore, keeps his logic rooted in truth and never lets it devolve into mere verbal trickery. Now, you're probably asking yourself, OK, so so how do I apply this? And I'm going to just take it from the standpoint of that. I'm guessing that at some level you have tried to communicate ideas or have tried to defend ideas uh, to people around you, maybe on social media, maybe in person. If you can develop those logical skills you'll find a much easier time of doing so. And, and more importantly, I think you'll be less likely to fall into the trap of feeling like, well, I have something to prove. Case in point, I have a friend on Facebook. I've actually followed this guy for years. I don't remember when we first became friends, but um, I believe he immigrated to America from an Eastern Bloc country. And I believe he's actually lived under real deal socialism. And he has been a fount of knowledge. I have learned so much from his posts because he sees he sees things with a clarity as it pertains to, you know, hardcore politicized collectivism that few of us have ever seen ourselves. However, I found that uh, he is is very hard to take these days because I don't know if it's just anger, if it's just frustration, but pretty much whatever he shares on social media 
is just it's it's about beating people into submission. It's not about I'm sharing this with you in the hopes that you'll examine this and be better for for thinking about it or considering this information. It's more about uh, I am here to flex and show you that I am right and you are wrong. And and just it's like he wants to pick an argument everywhere he goes. Needless to say, I don't find myself turning to him as a source of, uh, you know, enlightenment as often. It's not that he's stupid. It's not that he's evil. He's a very, very bright individual. But right now, his uh, his pride is outshining his ability to actually contribute truth and light. Does that make sense? I hope it doesn't sound too arrogant. I still think he's a great guy. I just don't like the approach he's using. That's all. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. By the way, my phone lines are open if you'd like to join the conversation. I would encourage you, jump on the telephone, crank into the telly the following segment... I'm sorry, sequence, 801-331-8113. 801-331-8113. So I found another article here, and this one is from the Von Mises Institute, and I thought this was this was pretty handy, mainly because I talk to a lot of people, and this is primarily loved ones that I'm talking to, who are scared to death. I know that, uh, you know, with the Thanksgiving super spreader events and everything, there are so many people concerned. And frankly, I know a lot of people who now are finding they have loved ones who are being diagnosed with COVID-19. And for, for most of them, the vast majority, it's pretty mild. It sucks for a couple of days, a high fever, lots of body aches, that kind of thing. Um, Rarely will I hear about somebody who's having, you know, respiratory problems and ends up having to go to the hospital. But my goodness, to see the way that the, the media reports it and how how the, the government numbers you know are being reported and government sources, health departments, you would think that uh, pretty much every other person you encounter was a ticking time bomb waiting to either infect you or, you know, drop dead because of covid. And I think this is more of a product of mass hysteria than, than the factual. Actual measurable number of people that are in distress and in danger from this illness. I hope you can see the difference. I know for some people, it doesn't matter. You denied it. You're a denier. Finger pointed at me. Okay, well, let's talk about how the state spreads mass hysteria. This is from Philip Vegas. He says the history of mass hysteria or mass sociogenic illness is fascinating. Cases of mass hysteria have been documented documented rather since the Middle Ages. So he says, let me mention just a few of the more recent cases. When a radio play by Orson Welles, The War of the Worlds, was broadcast in 1938, shortly after the suspension of the Munich Agreement, the play allegedly caused panic among listeners who thought they were under attack by Martians. Another intriguing case is the episode of a Portuguese TV show called Strawberries with Sugar. In the episode, the characters were infected by a life-threatening virus. After the show, more than 300 students reported similar symptoms as the ones experienced by the TV show characters, like rashes, difficulty breathing. Some schools even closed. The Portuguese National Institute for Medical Emergency concluded the virus did not exist in reality and that the symptoms were caused by mass hysteria. 
Similarly, on Emirates Flight 203 in September 2018, dozens of passengers started to believe they were sick after observing other patients or other passengers rather with flu-like symptoms. As a consequence of the panic, the whole flight was quarantined. And in the end, only a few passengers had a common cold or the seasonal flu. It's well known that there exist nocebo effects, which are the exact opposite of placebo effects. Due to the placebo effect, a person recovers from an illness because she expects to do so. When we suffer a nocebo effect, on the other hand, we get ill just because we expect to become ill. Now, there's a fascinating footnote to this in which they talk about uh, in a famous case where a guy tried to suicide himself. He thought he was swallowing 29 capsules of some experimental drug. In reality, they were placebos, but he was thinking he would be killing himself, and he arrived at the hospital with extreme low blood pressure and other very serious symptoms. When the doctor of the medical trial arrived and told him, look, you just took placebos, within 15 minutes, the man recovered. Yep. That's a, the mind is a powerful thing. In a self-fulfilling prophecy, the expectation can cause the symptoms. And by the way, anxiety and fear tend to exacerbate this process. Mass hysteria can cause people to have symptoms. Moreover, hysteria, be it collective or not, makes people behave in ways that prudent persons not affected by the hysteria would likely consider absurd. It's open for empirical research to investigate if and to what extent the world has been suffering from mass hysteria during the COVID-19 epidemic. Come on, we've seen people hoarding toilet paper, wearing masks while driving alone in cars. Or we've heard stories of people virtually not leaving their houses for months. We also know people who are scared by the virus, even though their own risk of death is minuscule. While investigating the possibility of a corona mass hysteria is certainly interesting, the author here says, I would like to focus on a more fundamental question, namely the extent to which the existence of the state can exacerbate mass hysteria. Now, certainly there can be cases of mass hysteria in a free society due to the negativity bias of the human brain. That means we focus on negative news. We suffer psychological stress when we think we're not in control. And this may also happen in a free society where or when negative news prevail. Yet in a free society, when there exists a certain self-corrective mechanism and limits that make it more difficult for mass hysteria to spiral out of control. For instance, as a corrective mechanism, there exist well-known strategies to reduce fear and, anx and anxiety. In a free society, people are free to make use of these strategies. One can release tension from one's body through sports and exercises, Moreover, it's essential to find distractions from the negative news and socialize. And in a free society, you're going to find those things because they abound. It's true that hysteria can lead people to inflict enormous harm on themselves and others. Yet in a free society, there exists an essential limit to the havoc caused by mass hysteria. That limit is private property rights. In a free society, mass hysteria cannot lead to a massive violation of private property rights by the state, simply because the state does not exist. Moreover, while anyone in a health hysteria may voluntarily close his business, wear a mask, or stay at home, in a free society, no one can force others who do not succumb to the hysteria to close their businesses, wear masks, or quarantine. A small, a small minority who continue to live their normal lives and are free to do so can be a wake-up call to those who succumb to the mass hysteria, especially the borderline cases. 
Imagine that a small group of people continues to go shopping, to work, to breathe freely, to meet with friends and family, and that they do not die. Others may then follow their example, and the group of hysterics shrinks. By the way, I suspect this is one of the reasons why I'm holding a line that I'm holding on not going along with all of the the COVID restrictions, including the ubiquitous masking everywhere. I really think it's important that, that some people show that we don't have to surrender to the hysteria. Now, while the destruction inflicted by mass hysteria is limited by private property rights in a free society... Such limits do not exist where there is a state. Indeed, a well-organized group that has succumbed to mass hysteria may get control of the state apparatus and impose measures on the rest of the population and inflict untold harm. The possibility of mass hysteria is an important reason why the institution of the state is so dangerous. Moreover, while in a free society there are mechanisms that can reduce mass panics, Mass hysteria can be exacerbated by the state for several reasons. First, the state can, and in the case of the COVID-19 epidemic, does prohibit and diminish those activities that reduce fear and anxiety, like sports and diversion. In other words, the the state actually fosters social isolation, contributing to anxiety and psychological strain, ingredients that spur mass hysteria. Second, the state takes a centralized approach to dealing with the source of the hysteria, in our case, the perceived threat of a virus. So the state imposes its solution, and in consequence, there's no or very reduced experimentation to solve the problem. People who have not succumbed to the hysteria and oppose the state's approach are suppressed. They cannot demonstrate alternative ways to confront the crisis because these alternative ways are prohibited by the state. As a consequence, Groupthink increases, and the hysteria feeds itself. No, no alternatives are shown to people. Third, in a state, the media is often politicized. News outlets and social media platforms have close relationships with the state. Media outlets may be directly owned by the state, as are public TV channels. They may need state licenses to operate. They may look to, for the goodwill of state agencies, or they may simply be staffed with people who were educated in state schools. The news agencies and social media platforms engage in massive negative news campaigns. They intentionally scare people and suppress alternative information. If people listen to, watch, or read negative and one-sided stories all day, their psychological stress and anxiety increases. Mass hysteria sponsored by a biased media sector may run out of control. Fourth, negative news from an authoritative source is especially harmful for psychological health and produces anxiety. If there exists in society an institution of total power, such as the state that intervenes in the lives of people from birth to death, the announcements of its representatives acquire weight. Many people attach great authority to these representatives and the warnings of state institutions. So when a doctor such as Anthony Fauci speaks in the name of the state and tells people to worry and wear masks... It becomes easier for mass hysteria to develop than would be the case in a decentralized society. This seems pretty on target to me. We're going to come back to it just the other side of our commercial break. Please stay with us. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. Again, there's time if you want to get a phone call in, 801-331-8113. Otherwise, I'm going to jump back into this article about how the state spreads mass hysteria. It seems to ring true. And I'm sure there are some really well-intentioned people working for the state. You know, they're trying to do their best. But, uh, boy, I think I think we live in a time of mass hysteria. If, if anybody ever asked, did you ever see that in your day? You will be able to answer resoundingly, yes, I did. Now, the article here is from Philip Bagus, a professor from Universidad Rey Juan Carlos. I know, I butcher the language, but... Uh, But he has a list of five different ways that the state instills fear in the population through mass hysteria. And he says the fifth way, by the way, is that sometimes the state actively wants to. Thereby contributing to the making of mass hysteria. In fact, during the first months of the corona epidemic, an internal paper of the German Department of the Interior was leaked to the public. In that paper, experts recommended that the German government instill fear in the German population. Now, the paper recommends increasing fear with three communication measures. First, the authorities should emphasize the breathing problems of COVID-19 patients because human beings have this primordial fear of death by suffocation, which can easily trigger panic. Second, fear should also be installed or instilled rather in children. Children could easily get infected when meeting other children, so they should be told that when they in turn infect their parents and grandparents, these could suffer a distressful death at home. That measure intends to invoke feelings of guilt. And third, authorities should mention the possibility of unknown, long-term, irreversible damage after a corona infection and the possibility of sudden deaths of people who were infected. All of these measures were intended to increase fear in the population. And he says, fear at the end is the foundation of every government's power. As H.L. Mencken put it, the whole aim of practical politics is to keep the populace alarmed and hence clamorous to be led to safety by menacing it with an endless series of hobgoblins, all of them imaginary. So to sum up, mass hysteria is possible in a free society, but there are self-correcting mechanisms. The harm such hysteria may inflict inflict rather, is limited by the enforcement of private property rights. The state amplifies and exacerbates mass panics, causing tremendous havoc. And what are local, limited, and isolated outbreaks of mass hysteria in a free society, the state can convert into global mass hysteria. Unfortunately, there is no limit to the damage mass hysteria can do to life and liberty if it takes hold of the government. As the state does not respect private property... The unscrupulous violation of basic liberties during the corona epidemic is a case in point. And the possibility of mass hysteria is another reason why the state is such a dangerous institution to have. Interesting stuff. Okay, I've got two other quick articles. I'm going to just touch briefly on one. Uh, one that I would like you to check out is uh, this is one that hopefully will trigger people on either side of uh, the 2020 election, both uh, Biden and Trump supporters. Since Biden and Trump have both been strong proponents of buy American, I mean, Trump to the point of in, in, installing tariffs and and, uh, you know, trying to make sure that people are buying only American stuff. Alice Calder writing for the Foundation for Economic Education, explains why this is a very seriously misguided economic policy. 
And I'm just going to leave it at that. Suffice it to say, it ain't a free market if government is managing even a little bit just to make sure, you know, keeping a thumb on the scale to to give us a good outcome. Take a look at it and see what you think. The fact that it uh, stands to uh, to possibly uh, trigger both Trump and Biden supporters, I think, is a pretty safe bet that she's probably got something worth considering. And hopefully you're not one of those people who's so easily triggered. And then finally, this is one that kind of blew my mind. One of the side effects of the pandemic is that a lot of people have discovered Zoom. Now, frankly, I use it a lot. I use it uh, daily. And a lot of people use it for business meetings. I mean, people use it for church meetings. It's it's really uh, kind of come into its own. But did you realize that uh, with with this uh, one one of the side effects of utilizing Zoom is that it's apparently driving a crisis in self-absorption. Anders Koskinen, writing for intellectualtakeout.org, talks about how people are really tapping into plastic surgery. I presume so they look better. I mean, you know, hey, they say the camera adds, you know, 10 pounds. I don't know if it adds 10 pounds to me, but it sure doesn't do me any favors. <laughs> better to switch the camera off and just listen to my voice. I don't think plastic surgery is going to fix that. Anders Koskinen says, if you thought you were sick of Zoom calls due to eye strain and the constant struggle to avoid talking over your coworkers, friends or family members, you've escaped relatively unscathed. He says, for many, the frequent exposure to their own face while talking has driven them to some drastic measures. Plastic surgeons around the world are reporting a huge increase in demands for their services in what The Washington Post is calling a Zoom boom. Botox injections, facelifts, nose jobs, anything to make one's own face just a little more bearable in that tiny window on the bottom right corner of your call screen. Now, when the COVID-19 pandemic shutdowns were at their peak, all elective surgeries and even some medically necessary but non-critical procedures were canceled or delayed in order to prepare hospitals for a COVID surge. Now it seems that the populace has had enough of that. And the contemporary crisis of self-absorption and absorption and vanity can continue with increased vigor. Just how bad is the plastic surgery surge? Well, a doctor in Cincinnati has doubled the number of days he's scheduled to be in the operating room and drastically expanded his total hours in order to keep up with the demand. Likewise, an Australian surgeon has doubled his staff to meet a 200% patient increase. This is a new addition to the long list of ailments that America is suffering due to our collective disconnect from the real functioning world. We were already addicted to social media and selfie culture long before government lockdowns forced us to adopt a heightened digital lifestyle. Now that many of us have been secluded for months on end, is it any wonder that our priorities have shifted even further to the narcissistic? See, the big problem of 21st century narcissism is discussed by Jack Trotter in an article for Chronicles. He identifies big tech, big tech companies such as Facebook and Apple as a primary driver of this phenomenon, including the knock-on effect of vanity's poisoning of American family life. Quote, Today, the most pernicious of these forces are the big tech companies, global in their reach and ubiquitous, almost omnipotent in their penetration of the most intimate realms of private and familial life. Where is the parent who has the strength of character to refuse his or her children's access to a cell phone? Yet these cunning devices, which fit so snugly in a pocket or purse, 
are the most effective means yet contrived for severing adolescents from the bosom of the family and introducing them to a realm of fabricated idols, a realm in which new identities can be adopted every day with the swipe of a screen. End quote. Wow. Got a couple of teenagers, and I'm relating to, to what he says there. Anders Koskinen says, when our focus shifts from real-life interactions with actual, physical people to the attentions of those who populate the digital realm, what we value about ourselves starts to change. This is likely related to what plastic surgeons are now observing. Online, we can stare at ourselves and contemplate every flaw in our features in minute detail. In the real world, there are far more pressing problems and joys to be found than contemplating our jawline or bemoaning the shape of our nose. Truly, the vanity of vanities, the teacher, this is truly the vanity of vanities that the teacher in Ecclesiastes discusses. You remember these verses? All things are wearisome, more than one can express. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It already has been. In the ages before us, the people of long ago are not remembered, nor will there be any remembrance of people yet to come by those who come after them. Now, even prior to the pandemic, Anders Koskinen points out many of us were burdened with the weariness hard to express. Things of the world didn't fill up our hearts, although many tried to fill them with even more consumption and alterations of their bodies in order to fulfill some ill-conceived ideal. Now, while locked away from each other, we humans no doubt have a natural tendency to focus more on ourselves. And this is natural for our own needs and experiences simply take up a greater portion of our day to day lives when we're not allowed to experience the lives of others. But he says this move towards vanity is only a tendency. And like any other sinful tendency, we have the ability to choose whether we give into our impulses or resist them. I like his advice here. He says, in this time as in all times, we must choose to pursue virtue. Isolation makes it easy to let virtue slide, but staying connected with loved ones and friends will aid us in such a worthy pursuit. In doing so, he says, let us all ensure our attentions on Zoom calls are focused on the people we seek to stay connected with and not on our own images. You can find all of these stories in the show notes at thebrianheightshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show.